Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Read Psalm 21 with me. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exults. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Salah. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation, splendor and majesty. You bestow on him, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence, for the king trusts in Yahweh. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies, Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. Yahweh will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed, for you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. This is the word of the Lord. So David rejoices in the strength of Yahweh, his God. Most kings, as you consider verse 1, will delight in the strength of their armies. They'll rejoice and gloat and brag over how much power they have at their disposal. It's not what we see David do, though. David instead focuses on the strength of his God. That is what he rejoices in. That is what he seeks to brag of. That is the one place, actually, scripturally speaking, that we do have pride. We are not to take pride in the work of our hands. We are not to take pride in the things of this world. Rather, our pride, our boasting, is in Christ. It is in our God, who he is, what he has done for us and for all. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. David, the king, exalts in the salvation that God has given to him. He knows where his victory comes from. Israel, in much of its history, was really at a fair military disadvantage in battles. They didn't have the same kind of... I don't want to say technology, but armaments. I mean, they didn't have horses or chariots for the most part they didn't even have swords in in several parts of their history it's the Lord who fights for them verse 2 you have given him his heart's desire we saw this yesterday in chapter 20 of the Psalms as well this is a heart that has been trained to trust in Yahweh because it's not our origin it's not our starting point our hearts are evil as we are conceived, and it is only by God filling our hearts with himself 
that there's anything good within us. And so for the king's desire of his heart to be good and just is because God has made them good and just. The Lord has pointed King David to himself. And so now the Lord is the desire of David's heart. And then God fulfills that desire. He gives himself to David. And this is the way it can be also for his people today. The Lord, as he brings you to repent through the work of his Holy Spirit, points you to Christ your Savior so that you desire his love, you desire his forgiveness, you desire his salvation, and then he graciously pours himself out upon you so that your cup overflows. That's the picture here for us as well. Verse 3, you meet him with rich blessings, so God favors his holy nation. And he did indeed. I mean, Solomon's wealth is perhaps unmatched in the history of the world. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. In fairness, so that's true, but in fairness, really God does that for every king in this world, even to this day. This is Romans chapter 13, that there is no authority that has not come from God. Every governing authority in this world has their authority from the Lord himself. To resist those governing authorities, Paul tells us, is to actually resist God which is not good. But verse 3 might be one you can unpack as a family together. How is verse 3 true for you? Like today, here and now, you, your family, your household, yourself, how does this verse, what does this verse say about you? As a child of God, Christ meets us with rich blessings. It might not be gold and silver and a fancy crown or tiara, but forgiveness? Forgiveness alone is better than all of that. You add in life and salvation? Yes, please. Praise the Lord. His blessings are more than we can imagine. And there is a crown set upon our heads. And this is common New Testament language. A crown of righteousness, a crown of life that is given to those who finish the race, as Paul would say it. Um, The the challenge there is, is that just a symbol that we are victors? Or is it literal when we come to the resurrection of all flesh that God will actually put crowns on all of our heads? I don't know, um, to be quite honest with you. Verse 4, the king asked life of God, God gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. This would probably connect to the promise of a descendant to sit on his throne forever and ever. Um, the, The Lord promised King David that his kingdom would not end. This is, again, 2 Samuel 7, one of his descendants will sit on his throne forever, and that's a prophecy of the Messiah Jesus who comes and reigns forevermore. Verse 5, his glory, so the king's glory, is great through your salvation. You bestow on him splendor and majesty. So everything that the world sees, that would be the king's glory, right? Glory is what, what lifts you up. It's why people would look to you. The king's glory is everything that he has is what the Lord has given him. 
So the world sees King David. Some of them see him as a great king who has done much for them. Some of them see him with fear because they know how great and powerful his, his people have been among them. They see these things because God has given them these things. You make him blessed. You make him glad. I would say stop on verse 6 and have the same conversation from verse 3. How are these words true for us today? God has made you blessed forever. I mean, we can talk again about forgiveness, life, salvation. We can talk about paradise, that we get to live in paradise with Christ forevermore. That we are glad in the joy of his presence. Talk about Christ's presence. When is the Lord present with you? We would talk about word and sacrament specifically, that we get to hear his word, his promises, that we get to be filled by Christ himself, his body and blood that well up inside of us unto everlasting life. But we also have those promises like wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Matthew 28, verse 20, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. The Lord's promises are here. They are for you. They are yours. Christ is with you. Christ dwells in you. So we already have this gladness in the presence of the Lord here in this place on a daily basis and as we gather as his people to receive his gifts. But we have this also in fullness in his paradise where we get to live with him forevermore. Verse 7 the king trusts in Yahweh, or he falls, right? So this king that trusts in Yahweh shall not be moved, because the Most High will plant him and protect him. But the one who does not trust in Yahweh, his kingdom will fall. We see this throughout history. I and mean, even of Israel's history, when they fail to trust in God, things go wrong very quickly. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. In reference to God's judgment here, uh, the right hand, again, we've been talking about recently in the Psalms as being Jesus, and you can still see that here. I mean, Jesus is, is going to still be judge. He is God. Um, but it is the judgment that's in mind. The blazing oven and it brings up the picture of fire, which shows up again later in that verse. God's wrath, his fire will consume them. So this is God's visitation. This is the last day. When Christ returns, he will separate the sheep and the goats, those who have been faithful and those who haven't. The sheep, those who trust in his promises, will get to live forever. That's what we talked about in the last couple of verses. Those who haven't trusted in his promises, they will be consumed in fire. Verse 10, you will destroy their descendants from the earth. This is similar to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 19, where God says that he will blot out the name of Amalek, and so the Amalekites, from the earth. And the Lord has done this before. If the Lord does not come back again soon, he will do this again. Um, 
But in the end, the unfaithful are destroyed forevermore. In a sense, we're divided only into two kingdoms in the New Testament era, the church and the, well, the unchurch, the not-believers. That kingdom will end. They will not remain on the earth. Verse 11, though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. This is going to point us, and I mentioned it just yesterday, I think, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is what we ought to expect. There was an era of Christian history where they actually thought that they had to make the world perfect before Christ would return again. Well, that's outright rejection of that Timothy passage that we just read. Evil will always be in this place until Christ returns on the last day. He is the one who conquers evil, not us. And he will do so. He will put them to flight. He will take aim. Military images, again, the the idea of battle, of retreat. Because the, the opposition is too strong. So the Lord fights. The enemy flees. But there's nowhere to flee as they turn to flee, right? You think of this picture. You turn away from your your opponent and you're running away. But as you're running away, now you're just still facing them. You're still facing their weapon. There's, there's nowhere that you can turn to run away from the Lord, to run away from God. He is there. That's a picture again of his judgment then, that it cannot be escaped. Verse 13, be exalted, O Yahweh, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. So this has been a, this has been a psalm about God's strength. Notice what our role is in the fight. We will sing. We will praise your power. This has been true in Israel's history. Think of Exodus chapter 14, when the Israelites are pinned by Pharaoh and his army against the Red Sea. Hear the words of Moses from that chapter, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Some translations in English use still instead of silent right there at the end. What did the Israelites do that day to deliver themselves? Did they overcome Pharaoh and his army? No. God miraculously parted the sea, the Red Sea, allowed them to cross it on dry ground, right, of all things, and they come to the other side, Pharaoh's army gives chase, the Lord closes the sea and drowns them all. Israel didn't lift a finger. The Lord conquered for them. All they ended up doing as they got to the other side was singing words of praise. This is us. 
I cannot conquer sin. I can't conquer death. I cannot fight the devil. He is too strong for me. But my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he can, and he does, and he has. He has conquered them all for me, and so I sing, and I rejoice in his most precious name, that the Lord has given to me salvation.